0: The single best, I think, hamstring exercise where you're going to get the most bang for your buck. I'm very passionate about using that exercise at least once a week into your
1: programming. That's great. I think that's probably one of the most helpful things because it's it's a really effective exercise, and you don't have to do it every day. You don't have to, you know, it doesn't take 20 minutes to perform. It's not a whole strength workout. It's a single exercise, uh, and I, I think that's great.
0: So here's the question, how do runners like us remain active, get stronger, and heal from injuries without being told to stop running and create a healthy life for ourselves so we can continue to hit PRs well into our 40s and 50s? This is the question and this podcast is the answer. My name is Dr. Dwayne Scotty, physical therapist, educator, and creator of Spark Physical Therapy. Welcome to the Healthy Runner Podcast. Hello, healthy runners. In today's episode, we flip the roles. During the episode, I was fortunate enough to be a guest on the Strength Running Podcast and had the opportunity to share my knowledge on hamstring tendon pain or butt pain. So today, I'm the guest, and Jason Fitzgerald is the host. And we got together to take a deep dive into hamstring injuries in runners because Jason's audience hadn't had that conversation yet. And I haven't talked about hamstring injuries on this podcast since our launch. And you healthy runners definitely need to know more about this. Due to the overwhelmingly positive response I got from Jason's audience, instead of recreating this conversation, I wanted to share the actual interview with you that I had with Jason to help you understand how to get down to the root cause of hamstring injuries, how to strengthen them, prevention advice, and dispel some common myths about rehabbing hamstring injuries. This was an episode packed with golden nuggets that should help you either prevent or get you going on the road to recovery with that stubborn pain in the butt, and pun is intended, So this was actually the injury that my wife shared on running her first half marathon story in episode 22. So if you haven't checked it out, hear her real life struggle with this injury and how she overcame it to run her first half marathon. And if you are struggling with this condition yourself and have only been told to stop running by other medical providers at Spark Physical Therapy through virtual telehealth sessions, I've been able to help help guide many runners with this condition back to running and sitting during their workday without that butt pain and would love the opportunity to help you get back on track. To learn more about the running injury clinic services I provide in person in Connecticut or virtually, just head over to www.sparkyourtraining.com to learn more. Jason was a great host during this interview and I would highly encourage you to check out his top running podcast, the Strength Running Podcast, as well as episode 21 on the Healthy Runner Podcast in which Jason shared his coach's perspective to injury prevention, which piggybacks nicely after our conversation we had on this episode about hamstring injuries. So without further ado, here's the episode with Jason Fitzgerald of the Strength Running Podcast on keeping your hamstring happy and healthy.
1: I'm glad you're here, Dwayne. I want to talk about hamstring injuries uh, because this is a type of injury that I, I don't know too much about. You know, it's not an injury that I've had myself, and uh, I, I haven't worked with a lot of runners who've had it. And you're a physical therapist, you're a runner, so hopefully, we can help our listeners keep their hamstrings happy and healthy. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. I uh, greatly appreciate it, and you know, I'm here to kind of talk to you guys and you know help your audience if they are battling this kind of common running related injury that they can suffer from um, for our talk today we're really going to be thinking about the hamstring i think most people associate with a hamstring strain or what we call kind of muscle belly type of strain where they'll feel pain in the back of their in the back of their thigh it's usually that you know cramping type sensation you might have experienced this in like a pickup you know basketball game Um, that's usually more associated with our kind of weekend warriors you haven't played basketball in a while you haven't played softball you sprint to first base and you feel like a pulling sensation in the back of your thigh in runners You know, you really typically only see that pretty much in your track athletes, um, really doing a lot of speed work. So someone who's really pushing it on the track where they might feel their hamstring grab. But the most common hamstring-related injury that we do see in runners and our distance runners, like a lot of the folks who are listening to your podcast, is more of the proximal hamstring tendinopathy or that tendon pain. It's kind of at the top of the butt area. It hurts when they sit on it. You know, typically this is the person who's working in an office all day long and they're feeling pain in the back of their butt area and then they're going out and doing some distance running. And it might feel a little pain in the beginning, then it feels a little better, and then at mile, you know, five, six, or seven, it starts to come on again. So that's really the type of kind of hamstring injury that is going to affect most of us distance runners.
1: Yeah, and this description of that injury sounds like something I hear all the time, something like, you know, I, I sit down at a desk all the time, I have this pain high up on my hamstring, it's it's right near my butt, and, you know, it kind of comes and goes. Sometimes it's really intense, sometimes you can run a couple miles and, and the feeling isn't too intense, and, but it'll, it usually comes back, it resurfaces again. Um, what, what causes this kind of an injury? Cause it is really common among runners and it's one of those things that, that I'm very grateful I haven't had to deal with in my own running career.
0: Yeah, well, unfortunately I did. This was actually my, my first running related injury. So quick story. I'm an adult onset runner, um, started when I was 32, I had a hip surgery for a labral repair. And after that, my orthopedic surgeon said, you know don't do any running on the treadmill in the gym. I used to basically, I started out as a quote unquote gym rat and, you know, would work out three times a week and would do running for cardio right in the gym. And he said, get off the treadmill, go outside and run. I was like, I've never done that in my whole life besides, you know, running as a kid, playing a sport. And that was actually the first running related injury I suffered after my hip surgery. And a lot of that was due to the compensations that I really wasn't fully back from that hip surgery and we're going to kind of get into some of those kind of causative factors but yeah this pain does not it's literally a pain in the butt it's just terrible when you're sitting on it i would do long commute car rides i live in connecticut so we we have a lot of family in long island new york so just that 2 hour drive it used to be killing me. I couldn't even put pressure on it. So this injury is not fun, and I do see a lot of runners, unfortunately, who do suffer from this injury. Um, but getting into some of the you asked about causes, um, what leads to hamstring injuries, and you know, contrary to popular belief, I think within most runners they tend to think about I have tight hamstrings and. That's probably why I have a hamstring injury, right? And most people always complain about their tight hamstrings and most runners that I come into contact with, what do they do? They're constantly stretching their hamstrings, right? So I'm (laughs) sure a lot of the runners that you work with too, Jason, are, you know, you ask them, what are they doing for exercise? The hamstring stretch
1: is always in there, right? Isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. There's always a good (laughs) hamstring touch your toes stretch in there.
0: Yeah, exactly. So Actually, within the literature, um, hamstring length has never been associated with increased risk of hamstring injuries, or honestly, really any running-related injuries, for that matter. So that's why you've really seen a change and shift in some of the treatments, and even you know that I learned about in PT school 17 years ago um, on how we treat these injuries. So most um, runners really will feel, you know, they they feel that kind of crampy sensation and they feel that their muscles tight but it's not necessarily related to muscle length. So here's kind of an example. I just actually evaluated um, a runner 2 days ago and she is a consistent consistent runner, been running, you know, 50 60 years. She's in her 70s. She's killing it at you know, before COVID all of the uh local raid r- road races, winning her age group. And she's very fit because she's consistent with her training, with her strengthening. And when I test her hamstring length, it is super tight. Like she has like no hamstring length at all. And you would think when I resist that muscle that it would cramp up because it's so tight, right? However, there are many runners that I evaluate. You resist their hamstrings. We kind of have them contract it and they cramp up. Their leg seizes up and usually what I find and the pattern that I noticed is it's more of a conditioning issue with the hamstring muscle. So it's more strength related, not so much that the hamstring muscle is short or tight. So hamstring strength, going back to your original question, is probably one of the more common kind of risk factors or Possible potential causes of actually getting a hamstring injury, as opposed to having tight hamstrings that most runners
1: feel like they have. This makes intuitive sense to me because, uh, you know, when I've looked at the literature, the research out there, it's like m- the vast majority of injuries happen within the normal range of motion that that you go through when you go for a run. So if you're going through the proper range of motion and you get hurt you know, this idea that, oh, I need to stretch it because it's tight. Uh, that doesn't really resonate with me because, you know, the injury didn't happen because, you know, you, you went too far outside of that range of motion, or even you're not even capable of going through that normal range of motion. And so it sounds like, um, you know, the, the strength side of things is much more important. And, and I have read too, that, a lot of this stems from having a weak glutes. So your glutes, your butt, it's not doing as much work as it should out there on the run. And so you start using your hamstrings to compensate. And and I think that, is that one of those big compensations that can lead to a hamstring injury?
0: Yes, no, absolutely. That is by far the most common thing that I do see is what we call, sometimes we call it actually hamstring dominance, but the hamstring Muscle is not actually strong, so it can't actually be able to take load, but they're activating their hamstrings. If you have someone lie in their stomach and kick their leg up, the prime mover of that is the glute max, right? It's your butt muscle. So you should be kicking in your glute. However, a lot of these folks who do get hamstring injuries will kick in their hamstring. They're just dominant in their hamstring muscle and they're not kicking in the glute. So that is by far the most common thing that I do see is weakness of the glutes. And we know the glutes are where it's at. Just like Shakira said, the hips don't lie. The glutes are the main muscle that as runners, honestly, can prevent a lot of running related injuries and especially hamstring injuries. Those folks that usually have this are not really either activating their glute and it's, 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 still surprises me how many runners cannot like actively, voluntarily like contract their glute muscle um, or they're not kicking it in with their running. So they're not actually like paying attention. They're not used to using their glute or it's just weak. So there's kind of a, and, and you need to determine which of those it is. Sometimes it's just a matter of training and having a runner kick it in because they've actually never, if they didn't come from that kind of strength background, weightlifting background, never done strength training, like all the things that you you know preach, then they might've just been a runner and they actually don't know how to actually like voluntarily contract their glute. So then you kind of have to teach them, all right, this is how the muscle feels, Now we're kicking it in, and then you kind of progress that with movement, motion, and then make sure they are
1: kicking in some of that awareness with their running, especially hills. You know, I have a core routine that I prescribe to a lot of my athletes. Uh, You know, it's the standard core routine. It's on the Strength Running website and on YouTube, Uh, and there's one exercise in there that I probably get an email about once a week saying, I just can't do this. It's impossible, and it's a supine bridge with an optional leg lift. And it's a very hamstring glute dominant type of exercise where if your hamstrings and glutes aren't strong, then like you literally cannot hold yourself up uh, and then alternate a leg lift and hold your entire body weight up with just one leg. And, you know, I, I think that that being the hardest exercise in the routine really speaks to the fact that a lot of us are spending most of our day sitting down and developing Uh, either weak hamstrings and glutes, or just for almost forgetting how to use them forgetting how to activate them, because we're kind of just in the off position for most of the day. And so you know, when you're saying this is really a weakness issue, I'm starting to think of all these runners that are emailing me saying, I can't do this exercise. And, you know, it's because well, your hamstrings and your glutes are so weak. And and so I see the real value in, in strength training there.
0: No, absolutely. And that's actually, yeah, one of my favorite exercises as well. And it's kind of, you know, going through this whole COVID situation, I've kind of pivoted a little bit with how I help runners, and I'm doing kind of home workouts for runners that are strength-based. And that's definitely like the supine bridge you talk about. That's definitely one. And then I'm sure you've done it before as well, but kind of taking that next level with the physio ball, And doing, you know, like a triple threat, quote unquote, exercise where you're using that glute and you're using the hamstrings to dynamically stabilize in kind of that closed chain position with their feet on the ball um, is a great one. And that's always been a staple in any of my runners kind of prehab programs to kind of prevent um, hamstring injuries going forward.
1: Yeah. And I like that exercise ball uh, exercise because it it almost makes you use your hamstrings in a way that you just don't usually use them in either everyday life or during your training as a runner. So it's a great way to really uh, uh, activate your hamstrings in, in that interesting way where, you know, you don't do it in everyday life. And, and it's important to build that strength like that. Um, so let's say someone comes into your office. They have high hamstring tendinopathy, this pain in the butt. You know, how do you approach this injury what does the rehabilitation look like and I'm sure it depends you know on on maybe why it's occurring so can we go through a couple options
0: Yeah no absolutely and like you said it really and I want to make sure that I'm kind of clear on this is there is no cookie cutter approach right so it will depend on kind of an individualized examination assessment because for one runner, I might spend the majority of my time actually educating them on their training errors with their programming. For another runner, it might be more kind of manual therapy focused on the muscle itself. For another runner, it might be more on hip mobility. So it it is kind of individualized. But With that being said, I will give you kind of the most common patterns that I've seen with the runners that I work with. And um, so looking at, let's say if I was actually Um, So if I was seeing someone in the clinic and right now with, you know, the situation as it is with the pandemic, I'm kind of doing a 50 50 split now of in-person sessions and virtual telehealth sessions. So for in-person sessions, then Typically, it would be nice to implement some manual therapy treatment. So some of those things that we can do to treat the actual muscle itself, and there is some you know, debating principles on what the manual therapy actually does, but my main rationale is... Can I decrease my patient's pain and get them out of this pain cycle to open up that window in order for us to do those kind of large rocks, the things that they really need to do, which is actually the exercises and build up the strength and do movement and continue to train so they're not just going cold turkey with their running. So some of the manual therapy things that we can do to treat the muscle, something Um, trigger point dry needling. So that can kind of treat the muscle itself, which is a little deeper treatment, similar to acupuncture. However, utilizing the medical model to actually treat the hamstring muscle itself. I'm not treating the hamstring for you know, other issues throughout the body. Um, Instrument assisted soft tissue massage. I like to utilize like the Graston technique is the most popular one. That's certification I went through Um, or, you know, soft tissue massage or contract, relax stretching techniques more so to facilitate some input into that muscle to treat that muscle, not so much to stretch the muscle because we need to stretch it and it's tight as I mentioned before. So those are some kind of manual therapy treatments that you can do. And that, again, can help from a pain standpoint and help someone move, get them more confident. The more important things that we really need to focus on is the educational side of things with what are their training loads look like, you know, really reviewing their programming and then the exercises. So when the exercises come into play, it's going to be dependent upon that evaluation, that assessment. So, Sometimes it is a hip mobility issue where someone doesn't really know how to hinge from their hip. And now we need to work on hip mobility, give them some drills for that so they can actually activate their glute when they do bend forward. Let's say they're going up a steep hill and they need to be able to engage their glute a little bit more. We don't want them to just kind of pull on that hamstring tendon. So remember, kind of going back to the glutes and the important point you brought up, the most common kind of hamstring injury we're talking about is in our distance runners, which is more of that proximal hamstring tendinopathy, which is right at the attachment site of the butt bone. So we want to decrease the load transfer to that tendon by activating the glutes. So the glutes are strong enough. They can help them get up that hill. They can help them for those long runs, as opposed to them keep pulling and putting too much load through the hamstring tendon. So, adding in glute strengthening exercises, and then really adding in load to the actual hamstring tendon. So, this tendon injury, like many of the other running-related injuries, whether it's Achilles pain, plantar fasciopathy, uh, or even if we look at you know medial tibial stress syndrome, are usually more of these chronic type injuries. And we know in order for those tendons to heal, we need to actually load the tendons. So then there's like hamstring-specific exercises. And definitely one of my favorites is the good old Nordic hamstring curl. Um, It just depends upon, again, the level of tissue irritability of someone who has this hamstring pain on when you would initiate that into your rehab program.
1: Dwayne, there's so many things I want to follow up with you on. Thank <laughs> you, that was awesome. Um, you talked about I want I kind of want to back up just for a moment. You talked about training errors that can contribute to, ha- <clears throat> excuse me, hamstring issues. What are some of these training errors? Because I think this is this is an important part of the prevention side of things. You know, let's make fewer mistakes when we're training and structuring our running so that you know hopefully we're not getting injured.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And usually it's it's those runners that have not, you know, they're the usually the novice runners. Um, it could be an experienced runner, but it really relates to do they have the running base and do they have the strength built up to do the actual training runs they're doing, right? So have they gone from that base level of training and built up strength with tempo runs, hills, fart licks, whatever, you know, runs before they actually do the interval work. Um, so, you know, you will see because the interval stuff, most people have fun with that and they're more exciting. Like I love going on the track and I know a lot of runners who do, and they get motivated by it. However, if they don't have the strength built up before they do that, then their body isn't ready to actually withstand the load that is going to their tissues. So in this case, the hamstring tendon. So sometimes, you know, really just, you know, simply that is the types of runs they're doing, or if they're doing that fast running and they're doing too much fast running without that base um, level of conditioning.
1: Love it. That's uh, kind of the, the the three twos, not doing too much too soon uh, before you're ready for it. And I, I think that's really valuable. Um, and, and one of the things that you said as well, that I think is really clutch uh, is the fact that you still want to be doing some running if you're able to, so that you're not completely giving up uh, your sport. And we just had David Joyce on the podcast, and we were talking about this performance framework for injury rehabilitation. And it was fascinating because, you know, the, the goal isn't really to heal the injury. The goal is to get back to your pre-injury Workload, you know, whatever you are capable of doing before you got injured, uh, and and I think that's a critical part of it is to actually practice some running if you're able, so that you know when you are uh, have a healthy hamstring and you can start running again, it's not completely foreign to you. You haven't lost all of your fitness, and that road back to uh, healthy running at your previous workload is just an easier road to travel.
0: Absolutely that's kind of the big principle and that I'm a believer on is that you don't need to stop running in order to heal from these running related injuries and you actually do yourself a disservice and that's why kind of I started the Healthy Runner podcast and Facebook group is to educate more of the public on that principle because unfortunately within the medical community sometimes or You know, unfortunately, most of the time on a lot of the runners that I see, you know, they've been told that you got injured running, so just stop running and then try it again. So then, like you said, they get deconditioned actually in those four, six, you know, seven weeks, whatever that they were quote unquote rehabbing. And then traditional physical therapy may have, if they went to kind of a traditional clinic, may have treated that hamstring, did all the rehab things that kind of I mentioned before. And then they would say, okay, you're discharged from PT. This is all your insurance paid for. Um, Good luck with your running. (laughs) So now they haven't actually built back up their body and their base, and there's not that progression. So honestly, in all the runners I work with, you can pretty much you know, it's rare, it's rare that you actually need to tell someone to shut it down. You know, stress fractures is definitely one of those injuries. And in acute, you know, tendonitis, which again, isn't that common. I'm seeing mainly middle-aged folks, like adult runners like myself, um, you know, but if I do see a high school athlete and that has a real acute tendonitis, then that's when we might need to shut it down for a couple of days. But that's it. We're not talking weeks, Um, But most runners will be able to actually heal, and they actually heal better because, you know, just think about the blood flow that they're bringing into those areas, and as long as they're not increasing those pain levels, we can modify a lot of the things that we do and actually help the body heal from a physical standpoint, but think about the psychological, mental you know, ability that you give your runners and just, you know, thinking about the person as a whole and how we heal from injuries. And I know you've talked about it in previous episodes of your injuries and, you know, you didn't like being sidelined, right? And no runner does. And even if we are a middle-aged adult, we are, we consider ourselves athletes, right? We're kind of competitive and we like doing our local road races. So we don't want to be told that, hey, I can't do the thing I love. Um, and it affects all aspects of our life. So I love being able to keep my runners doing their activity that they love, but we modify it and then we make sure that we're still making the progress and the gains in their rehab. And then when we're done with rehab, it's a seamless transition. They're, they're now back even stronger than they were before that injury.
1: I think this is really heartening for runners to hear because I think, uh, the, first impulse for a runner who starts feeling discomfort or a little bit of pain something feels dull and achy is to to shut things down and to say oh i have something hurts a little bit so i'm going to take a week off and rest and then see how i feel And and it's this cycle of just taking time off to deal with small injuries and even moderate injuries that I think really contributes to the deconditioning of the athlete over time. Uh, and, And I was someone when I was in college who was very injury prone. I had, oh boy, IT band syndrome, Achilles tendinopathy, plantar fasciitis. I had... SI joint problems, different kinds of muscle strains. I was always in the trainer's office or or going to physical therapy over the summer while I was base training. Um, And and the approach back then uh, was very much shut things down so you don't make it worse. But that, that was challenging because coming back into your normal training load was always a difficult thing to do, especially when you are in the middle of a track season and coming back to a a track workout at the college level is just, you know, very challenging.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's why I love, you know, listening to folks like yourself who are helping to kind of spread this word and how much we've come so far in treating running related injuries and preventing them or mitigating the risk, right. Of, of those injuries. And, you know, it's folks like yourself and that's why I kind of try to, you know, br- Give that word to the public so runners can be aware because there is so much unfortunate, you know, misinformation out there still. And, you know, a lot of runners who kind of just have that motto of, oh, yeah, you have this pain. You you just need to stop running and shut it down and then the pain will eventually go away.
1: Yeah, let's let's go back to what we were talking about before with different hamstring exercises. Cause I think this is a, a nice way to make this really practical for our listeners, you know, things they can start doing right away. So we talked about, uh, the supine leg lift, which is an exercise in the standard core routine. Uh, I think that one's great. You were mentioning the, the physio ball hamstring exercise. We curl it towards you. I think that's another great one. What's the role of, eccentric exercises to healing hamstring injuries? Because I was doing a little bit of research before this call, and it seems like eccentric exercises where the hamstring is lengthening while it's under load is, is is a critical piece to this puzzle.
0: Yes, absolutely. I consider it the key. And, you know, there is some newer research that's come out the last 10 years with kind of heavy, slow resistance programming. That's more of a three-second concentric followed by three-second eccentric or lowering. And that has some initial kind of credibility. And I know some therapists that are utilizing some of those protocols, but yes, the majority of the research that's out there is on eccentric protocols, and specifically like that Nordic hamstring curl where you're on your knees and you're slowly lowering yourself down. I honestly attribute that exercise as the single best exercise. You know, personally, when I was going through that chronic hamstring pain, I was telling you about when I first started running and the runners that I've helped, I've noticed a significant, and they have noticed a significant difference just implementing that exercise. And there's actually some really large-scale research studies that shows that it does prevent hamstring strains. Granted, it's a little different scenario, the strain versus the tendinopathy that we're talking about, but in soccer players. So they've done large-scale studies at implementing that as far as part is kind of injury prevention programs, more of their dynamic warm up before their practices of doing this Nordic hamstring curl. So I like that it has some evidence behind it as well as the practical approach where I've done it myself. And, you know, for me, that is included in all of my kind of prehab programs for runners to help prevent um, hamstring injuries. And it's not something you need to do two to three times per week, you know, at least once a week, getting a good three sets in there. Um, You can definitely notice some differences and it just builds up that resiliency within your hamstring muscle and builds up that eccentric strength and kind of uses that hamstring muscle from the hip joint, which is really mostly how it's used in weight bearing when you're running, um, as opposed to kind of in the swing phase and, You know, most folks and most runners, if they're doing the traditional hamstring strengthening, right, are, and if you don't know a lot about strengthening, then they're in the gym on their hamstring curl machine, sitting down and bending their legs up and down. You know, I think that's probably, you know, I don't like to say worst exercise, but, you know, to me, just looking at specificity principles, it doesn't relate to what you're doing as a runner. Um, so much. So if someone really loves it, I'll let them do it once a week, but there are a ton more, I would consider, you know, more functionally based exercises that will help runners like the bridge you talked about, and even doing it on the edge of a step or a couch um, can be helpful, kind of getting a little bit more of that hip extension, because that will relate more to that proximal tendon, Um, doing the Nordic hamstring, and then also your single leg RDLs, your Romanian deadlifts, um, or traditional deadlifts. And you can do those with an eccentric focus, so focusing on that lowering phase. Or like I said, you can also implement some of the tempo stuff, the heavy, slow resistance training for those areas. And really, you know, last plug is to get off of that machine in the gym. So I I think of this whole COVID situation as somewhat of a blessing in disguise for us runners and for the runners who the only strength training they were doing was doing their machine circuits, you know, hopping on every leg exercise in the gym. So that's why I'm kind of passionate about, you know, teaching runners some of these Weight bearing exercises, single leg exercises that will really help them, and you know, get them through. Everyone working out in their homes right now, so this this is actually a good thing in disguise, especially for the hamstring.
1: Yeah, and uh, that that exercise where you're kind of lowering your body very slowly while you're on your knees sounds like. I might just land on my face if <laughs> if I were to try that one. That sounds like a tough one, but you know, like you, like you were saying, it sounds like it's, it's using the leg in general and more specifically the hamstring, how we use it in everyday life and how we use it when we're running. So it's a much more specific exercise to focus on for strength. Now, do you need a partner to hold your feet down or something like that? How do you kind of do this at home?
0: Yeah, so ideally a partner's best. Like when I was going into the gym, I would put my legs under, you know, one of the machines that's kind of about a foot or two off the ground and that can hold you down. But Other ways to do it without someone holding you down is you could do it with a physio ball in front, which I found somewhat helpful. You just have to make sure that you're not turning it into an ab roller exercise and using your abs, that you're tightening your glutes, tightening your hamstrings and slowly lowering down and the ball is rolling forward. So you're really controlling that eccentric phase, the slow lowering. That's the important part. And then you can kind of do like a mini push up off of the ball or do partial range, like going to the couch surface. If you're just kneeling, if someone's holding your legs down, you'd feel it more in your hamstrings, but you can still feel it as long as you engage the glutes and the hamstrings first, and then slowly lower down. And like you said, most folks aren't going to be able to do it going all the way down to the floor. So then you do partial range. You start at like this um, couch surface. So you're just going through the small range of motion. And, and the key is that you're controlling it. So using that hamstring eccentrically to control that motion. And then the progression is you're going to lower, you know, kind of slowly bring you closer to the floor. So you go to a, a step or something that a chair, something that's a little bit lower,
1: let's say, than the couch was. Would you recommend adding this exercise maybe on a once or twice weekly basis for healthy runners to prevent hamstring injuries?
0: Absolutely. No, that is the, like I said, the single best, I think hamstring exercise where you're going to get the most bang for your buck. I'm very passionate about using that exercise at least once a week into your programming.
1: That's great. I think that's, probably one of the most helpful things because it's it's a really effective exercise and you don't have to do it every day. You don't have to you know, it doesn't take 20 minutes to perform. It's not a whole strength workout. It's a single exercise. Uh, and I, I think that's great. Um, now, Dwayne, you said something interesting when we were talking earlier. You mentioned that uh, someone told you to get off the treadmill and start running outside. Was that because Running outside is just more fun, or because there's something about the treadmill that makes it either uh, worse for your hamstrings or puts you at a slightly higher risk of injury.
0: Yeah, so this was actually kind of interesting. Um, I thought it was interesting at the time myself um, because back then, this is now going nine years ago, it was still in the early phases of what we knew about hip labral tears. And so when most people have a tear in their labrum in the hip. It's in the front part of the hip joint. And a lot of times you can get this kind of what we call anterior glide syndrome. So the femoral head comes forward or anteriorly and kind of abuts or impinges to that anterior part of the labrum. And that was the area they did surgery on. So they do like an osteotomy, they shave bone away, they repaired my labrum. So kind of sutured it back down and did a, Microfracture procedure to the cartilage, but really avoiding that anterior shear force of the femoral head coming forward. And because a tread just goes strictly back behind and the long lever of the femur, it kind of forces the femoral head to go more of that anterior position. So that that was what he said, you know, it and If I do have runners that I work with that only can run on the treadmill, you know, in during the winter months, you know, they're working, they can't go outside in the darkness, then I definitely have them elevate it, you know, at least 2% just to help seat the femoral head, especially if it's someone with front of the hip pain. So they have anterior hip pain symptoms. Um, I definitely give them a little incline, which would just kind of help seat that femoral head, keeping it away from those kind of anterior structures.
1: It is so fascinating to me to hear a physical therapist advise the same thing that I would tell a runner, but for very different reasons. (laughs) You know, as a coach, I'm like, well, a treadmill just has no variety to it. It's incredibly monotonous, not just mentally, but physically. Every footstep is pretty much exactly the same. And so that's why running outside is just much more beneficial and productive for the runner. and has a lower injury risk because, you know, what are injuries? They're repetitive stress injuries. So any way that we can kind of reduce some of that repetitive stress is going to help them. And then having an incline, I think is great just to reduce a little bit of those impact forces and, and make it a little bit more challenging because you're not getting any air resistance in there, but that's kind of minor, but I think that's great. And I think, uh, you know, whenever I run on a treadmill, which is maybe once a year, Uh, I always use at least a 1% or 2% incline for similar reasons because it also just feels better. When I'm on Mm -hmm. a flat treadmill, it almost feels like it's on a negative 1% decline.
0: Right. No, absolutely. And it's funny, right? Because think about how many runners that you probably come in contact with who, or people in the general public, right, who just think, oh, you run outside, you run on the pavement, you know, it's so bad for you, right? Aren't you going to get injured? It's a, And honestly, I find more people get injured on treadmills than they do Running on the pavement. And, you know, for those runners out there too who aren't aware, there is no research at all that's ever been shown that running causes arthritis or is bad for your knees. So if you are a runner out there and you're thinking that running is bad for you, or if you do it outside on the pavement, that it's going to be bad for your knees and you're going to get arthritis, that is not true.
1: I love it. Myth busting here with Dwayne. Dwayne, I've read that uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like Advil, you know, these anti-inflammatory drugs like um, I think Tylenol is another example. uh, They can interfere with tendon remodeling, which is a phrase that is I don't know if it's pulled from the medical literature or construction. I'm not sure. Maybe it's a a hybrid. But is this something that that you would tell a runner to avoid, you know, excessive Advil use or something like that?
0: Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, So there's a lot here. So let's try to unpack this a little bit. Um, The first comment, or just to clarify, um, NSAIDs would be kind of the Motrin, Advil, ibuprofen, or um, even your aspirin. So Tylenol actually is just a pain reliever, it's not actually an NSAID. so it's one of the safer ones to take if you wanted to avoid the anti-inflammatory factor, if someone had a sensitive GI system, history of ulcers, things like that. Um, But NSAIDs, the first thing that comes to my mind with runners and NSAIDs is, do you have an accurate diagnosis and have you totally ruled out that your pain is not being caused by a stress fracture. So again, most runners will self-medicate and if their shins hurt, when they go out there every time for the run, they might just think, oh, I have shin splints, I have a the tendinitis, let me take some ibuprofen. So first off is you need to rule out that you don't have a stress fracture because we do know, and this is, has been shown, that NSAIDs can actually reduce your bone healing capacity. So if you actually have a stress fracture now you're actually making that healing process worse and you might have chronic long-term changes within the bone and then put yourself more at risk for actually fracturing your tibia let's say um, in the future so that's i think an important point for runners to know is making sure they have an accurate diagnosis they don't have any bone stress fractures in the foot or the tibia in the shin area but in terms of tissue or tissue or tendon remodeling really what that refers to is whenever we have an injury to our tendon, we're going to go through this acute phase within that first two to three days of that inflammatory response phase where there's actually inflammation in there. And that is sometimes can be beneficial to use NSAIDs in that initial phase. Again, that's more common for the younger runner, the high school collegiate runner who really didn't do their base training over the summer and now is back to school. And now they're just like hitting that mileage um, on week one. And now they're getting pain right in the back of the Achilles where it attaches to the bone. So that's more that insertional tendonitis. And it's actually like an inflammatory process. So like that, that youngster might benefit from some NSAIDs initially. But most of our tendon problems, again, are more issues with ability for the tendon to attenuate load, and what happens is it gets chronically stressed where there's a little inflammation, but what happens is your tendon starts to remodel, so now it starts to heal, and it throws down this collagen, fibrin, and but it's not healing in the right fashion. So you're getting like this malaligned healing that's going on within the tendon, and If you are taking NSAIDs, and I'm not sure, honestly, what the research shows on that, but I think it could mess with that process. To me, I just think from a pure practical standpoint, if I'm going to ever recommend NSAIDs for a runner, it's going to be that acute, highly irritable, you know, they're getting pain with just jogging. They're getting pain walking, doing everyday activities of stairs, and then you take it for a short course a short dosage to calm down the inflammation not to treat this chronic hamstring pain or Achilles pain that they've been having for you know months because that doesn't make sense right you're not going to have this chronic inflammatory process going on for months so in order to get that better it really relates to what we talked about earlier with loading the tendon and actually getting it to manage those loads so it can actually heal a little bit better.
1: Yeah, that was really helpful. Thanks. And it sounds like, uh, you know, those kinds of drugs like Advil or Motrin are best used just really mostly for pain or for, you know, excessive swelling at the acute phase of an injury, like when you first get injured. Is that right? Correct. Absolutely. Great. Um, some other things that might impact hamstring injuries. I read that's important to wear relatively lightweight shoes and, and this is something that I had never heard before to have an effect on hamstring injuries and I guess it's because the weight of the the foot in the physics of it it's you know it's the end of the lever so if you have a really heavy shoe on it increases the strain to the upper hamstring during that late swing phase and so heavy motion control shoes can really be a problem if you know you lack that hamstring strength and you you have some weakness in there it just puts extra strain on that. What are your thoughts on that? Have you ever read that? Yeah, I haven't actually read that, but
0: that is an interesting concept from a pure physics standpoint it does make sense. So from a lever arm standpoint it does make sense. I guess from a practical standpoint, I just wonder if those couple of ounces is really going to make that much of a difference and if it does, then I think we have some Bigger underlying issues in that their hamstring is that weak that a couple of ounces in their shoe is going to actually you know cause that much stress and load to the tendon itself. So I think it's yeah. it's yeah. more of a um, a larger issue where they would have that significant weakness. And honestly, I think more of these proximal hamstring tendon problems occur probably more in the weight bearing phase of running and the there were lack of ability of like the glute to fire and stabilize. And now the hamstring is trying to do the glutes work. So it's not so much in that swing phase. I think that can happen more in, you know, if you're doing the intervals and you're doing, you know, repeat hundreds or, you know, two hundreds, but, um, for the distance runners who feel like what I kind of described earlier, where they, it feels tight and stiff and painful the first half mile, and then it kind of loosens up and then it comes back again at mile six, seven, eight, you know, on, on a longer run. It, I think it's more of a weight-bearing issue um, when they're actually weight-bearing and their hip is a little flexed and you're going into hip extension and the hamstring tendon is taking the load and the work of what the glute should be doing.
1: You know, I heard you laughing a little bit when you first started answering this question, and (laughs) I was grinning myself because I think you're right. You know, if you're getting hurt because you're wearing a pair of shoes that's two or three ounces heavier than quote unquote what it should be, you know, that's like a canary in a coal mine that there's some real strength issues going on here and we should really work on getting stronger. You know, I've dealt with a lot of runners who you know, think they got injured because they went on one four mile run with a new pair of shoes. And if that's really the case, you know, like if running outside on pavement is getting you injured or wearing shoes that you're not used to or heavy shoes, you know, that's like a warning sign that any little interruption to what you're used to can cause injury. That's probably not a good place to be. I think, uh, the goal of being anti-fragile and being, you know, adaptable to these kinds of small changes is something that every runner should work toward. And a big part of that is I think training consistency and not increasing the load of your running. Uh, but a big part of that too, is strength training.
0: Absolutely. And that's why I'm so glad that we connected because once I started hearing some of your messaging, I'm like, wow, I have to reach out to this guy because I love what he is putting out. And those are actually the pillars of my belief system is that you need to train in order to run. And then when we break that down, specifically strength train, jump train. So we really didn't talk about plyometrics today, but and then train on one leg. So those are like the three kind of core principles um, that I have. And then you have to train smart with proper progression. And that results in, you know, the consistency, consistently training and training smart with proper progression. So I think, you know, you and I have a lot of the same beliefs and I love that, um, you know, someone who's a running coach and I actually just took um, the running coach certification um, through RRCA and I love you know, working with local coaches and when I'm working with my patients, because the training aspect is so important. And I, you know, everything that you've talked about, it plays such a role in injuries and everyone wants the magic bullet, right? Like everyone wants the best shoe, right? That's going to make them, you know, the fastest runner and they're going to break a two hour marathon, right? Um, Or they want the quick fix for that hamstring pain, but it really goes... When you break it down, it goes to those core principles, as you said, of they have to have the resiliency and the strength to actually be able to run so they don't get injured.
1: And they need to do it consistently. Duane, if you do find that magic bullet, can you let me know? <laughs> I think we're all looking for it, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, no, that's great. And and you know, I, I like to say that even though i always talk about strength training it's so valuable for runners i don't even consider it cross training it's just part of the training that you have to be doing in order to be a successful runner whatever that means to you but you know i also say that no amount of strength training is going to keep you healthy if your running training is poorly structured so you know if you go from 20 miles a week to 60 miles a week it doesn't matter if you're strength training every day or if you're running workouts that are too advanced for you, that aren't appropriate for you, if you're increasing your long run distance too much. So when it comes to injuries, it's always first about the training. It's always a, and you know a physical therapist will say it's always about the training load. Um, but that's you know really what workload is. You know it's what, what's the intensity or stress level of your training in general, and any increase in that should be pretty general uh, and pretty slow and gradual yeah. over time. Because you know the body just doesn't react to stresses over the course of a couple of days. You know it takes weeks and months for these changes to to really come about. And I'm glad that you know we can we can settle on strength training as a great preventative method, but at the same time recognize that you have to get your training right first. That is the first step. Uh, now, Dwayne, I want to ask you one more question about something that could potentially exacerbate high hamstring tendinopathy or this kind of pain in the butt uh, hamstring injuries that we're talking about. Uh, And that's pool running. And this is actually one of my favorite forms of cross training because it's I just like being in the pool, even though it is a little boring. I don't think anyone actually loves it, but (laughs) uh, I've seen that pool running can be uh, detrimental to these hamstring injuries because it doesn't load the hamstring eccentrically at all and it can really exacerbate things because you're staying aerobically fit. You're, you're kind of overusing the quads a little bit so that when you get out of the pool and start running, it can have an impact on your mechanics. And it's almost like a detraining stimulus for the hamstring. Is there, is that something you've seen before or, or what are your, your first thoughts on this?
0: Yeah, that definitely wouldn't be my first option for a hamstring. I think of the pool running as an unloading activity. So if you, again, if you have someone who's had more of a bone issue, more of shin splints or, you know, perhaps even a highly irritable plantar fasciitis um, or Achilles, or even like after my post-op, you know, hip surgery to get mobility in the hip, to unload the hip and just get general mobility. But for this hamstring issue, that's more of that soft tissue tendon problem that we kind of we, we kind of talked about that we want to load that tendon from the hip joint and usually do it in a closed chain fashion like the hamstrings working when you're running. And yes, I would agree that you're not getting any eccentric benefit either. So I, I would honestly probably say that it would exacerbate the hamstring dominance I talked about where you're just flexing your knee and bringing that knee back. So you're using that hamstring in that fashion um, too much. So yeah, that definitely wouldn't be part of my kind of rehab protocol or recommend for a hamstring issue. Some of the other issues I talked about, you know, perhaps that could be um, a nice way to maintain some aerobic capacity.
1: Yeah. Now, my other my, my favorite form of cross training is cycling. I have a road bike. I love just getting on the bike. I, I think I just like to go fast, which is one of the reasons why I don't like pool running, because you're going slower than you are when you're walking. But, you know, when it comes to cycling outside, you know, clipping into the pedals like that's the kind of road bike I have. Is that because I really actually feel more of a hamstring kind of a strength session in there cycling uh, then I do when I'm running is, is this something that you might recommend or, or am I just fooling myself?
0: Now I'm not a cyclist, but I do treat a bunch of triathletes and we've kind of talked about, um, the cycling aspect and I know it can, it, you're definitely using your hamstring. I think, again, you would probably be better to speak to this, but if you change your focus and you focus more on that part of your stroke, right. And coming around versus because cycling could also be very quad dominant as well. So I think it really depends upon how, what your focus is. And if you're really trying to pull back on the pedal, cause that would be your hamstring muscle contracting to kind of bend your knee or flex your knee, um, where it would kind of come more into play. What are your thoughts?
1: Right. And, and probably you're really only getting that, that paw back motion, that hamstring pulling motion, when you have those clip-in pedals you know if you're just riding a normal bike with your running shoes on a a typical pedal you're probably really only using your quads
0: yep that makes sense from a biomechanical standpoint definitely makes sense
1: yeah and so that could maybe even exacerbate things as well uh duane this is has been a master class on the hamstring and hamstring injury prevention and treatment thanks so much for your expertise uh and You know, you just have an incredible amount of knowledge about the physical therapy side of of these kinds of running injuries. And uh, I love that you're a certified coach and you're a podcaster too. Uh, Can you let us know where are you online? So if folks want to listen to your podcast or or find some of your material, they can do so.
0: Yeah, well, thank you. Um, You know, home base is sparkyourtraining.com. And on there, you can, you know, find the Healthy Runner podcast, which you can get on your favorite podcast app. Or I really like to kind of bring that sense of community. I do live trainings every Monday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time within my Healthy Runner Facebook group. So we have a, um, you know, great group of runners in there who... Are very engaged, ask great questions, and we do live trainings each and every week. There also have a YouTube channel which has a lot. Actually, every exercise that we talked about today, I have on the Spark Your Training YouTube channel. So I have all playlists there that you can, you know, see. There's 120 videos for runners, um, specifically, and then break it down by body part. If you're looking for knee exercises, hip exercises, have them all categorized into playlists to be able to kind of help, um, you guys, the listener, you know, implement some of the exercises. And I know it, through this forum on a podcast, it is a little challenging to figure out like what we're talking about. Cause we had a, a great uh, conversation about exercises today. So you can check us uh, out some of those exercises on the uh, YouTube channel.
1: Well, great, Dwayne. You have so many resources for runners. Uh, that resonates with me because I'm always creating helpful stuff for, for distance runners out there. Uh, but really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thanks for everything.
0: Yeah, no, this has been great. Thank you so much for the invite. And it was a great conversation. I had fun with it. And keep doing what you're doing because I love, I love the content and the value that you're providing so many runners out there.
1: Appreciate that, Dwayne. Take care. All right, you too.
0: Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode. I appreciate you and I hope you got a lot of value out of it. And I hope that becoming a healthy runner is as exciting for you as it is for me. I hope you can see that this podcast can not only benefit your running, but your overall health as well. If I said something that resonated with you, then jump over to our free Facebook group called Healthy Runner. I give live trainings in there every single week to the hundreds of members. I answer questions directly in there and absolutely love hearing the takeaway and wins that you have from this show. More on the show at sparkyourtraining.com for our latest articles, resources, and specific exercise videos I mentioned in the show. You can also head over to any of my social media accounts at sparkyourtraining where I include lots of free content for all the ideas I talked about in the show. If you have learned anything from this podcast, I would really appreciate if you headed over to Apple Podcasts or iTunes and rated and reviewed it as well as pass it along to your runner friends so they can have the same tools and ideas that you now have. If you have any questions, suggestions, and show ideas, the best way to reach out is through your favorite social media platform. Thank you so much and I appreciate you. Stay active, stay healthy, and just keep running now it's time to strap in and get ready for the next episode of the Healthy Runner podcast.